Section 5 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, Book 2, Chapter 4, Tormentum Belli. One of the carronades of the battery, a 24-pound cannon, had become loose. This is perhaps the most dreadful thing that can take place at sea. Nothing more terrible can happen to a man of war under full sail. A cannon that breaks loose from its fastenings is suddenly transformed into a supernatural beast. It is a monster developed from a machine. This mass runs along on its wheels as easily as a billiard ball. It rolls with the rolling, pitches with the pitching, comes and goes, stops, seems to meditate, begins anew, darts like an arrow from one end of the ship to the other, whirls around, turns aside, evades, rears, hits out, crushes, kills exterminates. It is a ram battering a wall at its own pleasure. Moreover, the battering ram is iron, the wall is wood. It is matter set free. One might say that this eternal slave is wreaking its vengeance. It would seem as though the evil in what we call inanimate objects had found vent and suddenly burst forth. It has the air of having lost its patience, and of taking a mysterious, dull revenge. Nothing is so inexorable as the rage of the inanimate. The mad mass leaps like a panther. It has the weight of an elephant, the agility of a mouse, the obstinacy of the axe. It takes one by surprise, like the surge of the sea. It flashes like lightning. It is deaf as the tomb. It weighs ten thousand pounds, and it bounds like a child's ball. It whirls as it advances, and the circles it describes are intersected by right angles. And what help is there? How can it be overcome? A calm succeeds the tempest, a cyclone passes over, a wind dies away. We replace the broken mass, we check the leak, we extinguish the fire. But what is to be done with this enormous bronze beast? How can it be subdued? You can reason with a mastiff, take a bull by surprise, fascinate a snake, frighten a tiger, mollify a lion. But there is no resource with the monster known as a loosened gun. You cannot kill it, it is already dead and yet it lives. It breathes a sinister life bestowed on it by the infinite. The plank beneath sways it to and fro. It is moved by the ship. The sea lifts the ship, and the wind keeps the sea in motion. This destroyer is a toy. Its terrible vitality is fed by the ship, the waves, and the wind, each lending its aid. What is to be done with this complication? How fetter this monstrous mechanism of shipwreck? How foresee its comings and goings? its recoils, its halts, its shocks. Any one of those blows may stave in the side of the vessel. How can one guard against these terrible gyrations? One has to do with a projectile that reflects, that has ideas and changes its direction at any moment. How can one arrest an object in its course whose onslaught must be avoided? The dreadful cannon rushes about, advances, recedes, strikes to right and to left, flies here and there, baffles their attempts at capture, sweeps away obstacles, crushing men like flies. The extreme danger of the situation comes from the unsteadiness of the deck. How is one to cope with the caprices of an inclined plane? The ship had within its depths, so to speak, imprisoned lightning struggling for escape, something like the rumbling of thunder during an earthquake. In an instant the crew was on its feet. It was the chief gunner's fault, who had neglected to fasten the screw-nut of the breaching chain, and had not thoroughly chalked the four trucks of the carronade, which allowed play to the frame and bottom of the gun carriage, 
thereby disarranging the two platforms and parting the breaching. The lashings were broken, so that the gun was no longer firm on its carriage. The stationary breaching which prevents the recoil was not in use at that time. As a wave struck the ship's side, the cannon, insufficiently secured, had receded, and having broken its chain, began to wander threateningly over the deck. In order to get an idea of this strange sliding, fancy a drop of water sliding down a pane of glass. When the fastening broke, the gunners were in the battery, singly and in groups, clearing the ship for action. The carronade, thrown forward by the pitching, dashed into a group of men, killing four of them at the first blow. Then, hurled back by the rolling, it cut in two an unfortunate fifth man, and struck and dismounted one of the guns of the larboard battery. Hence the cry of distress which had been heard. All the men rushed to the ladder. The gun deck was empty in the twinkling of an eye. The monstrous gun was left to itself. It was its own mistress, and mistress of the ship. It could do with it whatsoever it wished. This crew, accustomed to laugh in battle, now trembled. It would be impossible to describe their terror. Captain Boisbertelot and Lieutenant Lavuville, brave men though they were, paused at the top of the ladder, silent, pale, and undecided, looking down on the deck. Someone pushed them aside with his elbow and descended. It was their passenger, the peasant, the man about whom they were talking a moment ago. Having reached the bottom of the ladder, he halted. End of section 5